why do we have three hosts in this episode? So David Tuman, the co-founder of Instapath, was a guest of mine on one of my podcast episodes. And when we were recording this, he said, oh, I am the host of the new Beyond the Scope podcast. This is the DPA, Digital Pathology Association podcast. And I'm going to invite you to an episode as well. And then time passed. Nobody ever invited me till this week or two weeks ago. Anyway, recently, David sent me an email and they invited me to a crossover podcast episode. So it's going to be David. It's going to be Giovanni Luhan, who is the co-host of Beyond the Scope and me. Learn about the newest digital pathology trends in science and industry, meet the most interesting people in the niche, and gain insights relevant to your own projects. Here is where pathology meets computer science. You are listening to the Digital Pathology Podcast with your host, Dr. Alexandra Zhurov. All right, so here we are. This is the first time that we're doing this. This is the crossover podcast of some sorts. We have Alex and Giovanni here. So we have- Hello. Hello, hello, hello. And the purpose of this is we wanted to get the, we wanted to get some of the podcasters together just to talk about the hot topics in digital pathology, talk about some of the news items we've been following. We're always like interviewing guests, so we never give a chance to give our own opinions on what's going on. So this is a fun opportunity to do that. And so since we probably have all sorts of different audiences here, this is going to be published on a couple different podcast feeds. Alex and Giovanni, you two are meeting for the first time. So we're you guys for the first time <laughs> indeed. So yeah, so for, yeah, we are all guests and all hosts today. And right. <laughs> this is Beyond the Scope and Digital Pathology Podcast. So Giovanni, exactly. welcome to my podcast and feel free to welcome me to your podcast. <laughs> Very happy to have you. <laughs> I'm a right? I, yeah, I'm a fan of yours, guys. I have been looking at the, your podcast and listening to your podcast, and I stole some of your guests. So, for example, I love the podcast with David Clooney, and mm. I totally, after listening to your uh, podcast, I was like, oh, he has to come to mine as well. So I think I think if we're not stealing guests, then we're not doing it right, because our goal right. our goal for both of our podcasts is to get the best guests and. <laughs> Naturally, we have to share. Exactly. And also, this is not such a huge niche, I would say. Probably everybody heard about everybody, and it's good to cover topics from different angles. So, yeah, I'm honored to be here, guys. And nice to meet you, Giovanni, because David, I already know because he was already guest on my podcast mm -hmm. before. Yeah, he told me about that. And I think we started at the same time because I remember I started following you, I think, in LinkedIn. And we're just because I like what you were posting there. And then I noticed that you were also coming up with that podcast. And so there were several similarities. And yeah, and as you said, we get it from different angles, different perspectives. And perhaps we share a guest, but we all have different perspectives, different point of views that we elicit on the guest. So I think it's good that the guests go around sharing their opinions with us because they always have something different, new to say. So I remember also Hensa Give was your guest once. Mm -hmm. 
and she was my guest as well. So I'm going to be linking to all those double podcasts in the description uh, and in the show notes. But one question, my question to you guys, before we sure. dive into hot yeah. topics and everything, yeah. what is your mission with your podcast? And like, what's your main angle? And then I'm going to tell you mine. Perfect. Giovanni, do you want to do it for us? Yeah, it was an idea of one of the committees of the Digital Pathology Association to put some faces and voices out there to try to broadcast the news, to put some of the projects we're working on out there, get people to know about the TPA does. And that evolves into also presenting people who have something to do in the digital pathology world involving everybody, not only academic, but also the industry, research, and all these different characters or professions that have come together to be this wide world of digital pathology, which is not a physician world, is not an engineer's world, is not a business world, this kind of a combined world where we all came with different backgrounds trying to promote this. So I think that's the main goal of us, to get everybody together, learn from each other, and let people to know the Digital mm -hmm. Pathology Association. Anything I missed, David? The only thing that I would add is I came in a little bit late in the process. This is not my original idea, but the first time that I was on this then I was on this committee meeting. I remember Giovanni like super excited talking about how he was really into doing it. He just didn't, there just wasn't like a plan to actually do it. So I had done, I had- You had the podcast before, yeah, right? Yeah, I would still do it. Perfect like, it's, candidate. Just for fun, I have, and I still do this college football podcast with my friends. It's more of an excuse just to get together every week and talk because we're all in different places. But I actually know. I actually knew what I was doing in terms of producing the podcast. So I happily. I see your headphones and I see your microphone, uh -huh. and I like. I okay. Full disclosure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in Poland now. My internet yeah. is so bad, and I am recording on my phone today. So totally like a zero professionalism of a podcaster. Whereas David, if you're looking on video, you're gonna see his mic and everything. And if you're listening to audio, I hope my audio is not that bad today. Sounds really good right now. Okay. It looks okay. great. We have to tell you how great. We can do some post processing. Okay, but guys, now I think, full disclosure I, with the light. This is my light. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we figured it out. And I think the last thing I wanted to say about our podcast is just to echo Giovanni's thought on how just digital pathology is such a collaborative community. I'm just really happy that we ended up doing the co-host thing. We have the voice of the voice of a pathologist that's actually signing out cases with digital pathology represented. And then we have a voice of someone like me who's innovating in the space, knows a little bit about the business. Engineer. By and, and knows engineering. So I'm really happy that we have the two different perspectives. Yeah. So guys, now the three of us cover even more because I'm a veterinary exactly. pathologist working in the pharmaceutical industry in a CRO supporting pharma. So totally all the angles. We do not have a computer scientist, do we? 
No, oh. not as a host, but we get to computer scientists for right. a third of our guests, so by exactly. nature, so it works out that way. No, so we cover quite some spectrum of this collaborative discipline that we are engaged in, digital pathology, and I totally second you guys. It is multi-profession, multidisciplinary area, and the goal of my podcast is what I have seen that there was a big gap between pathologists and computer scientists. And then basically, because we have so many different stakeholders, I was in a situation where it was pathologists and computer scientists, but you have pathologists, engineers, you have pathologists, regulatory, and like all of them together, and you need to build those bridges. So I think podcasts are a fantastic way to build those bridges for an area that needs bridges to function well. Yeah, that's my mission. And I guess we have a bit of a similar mission from a different angle. Let's ask, I'm gonna, I want to ask Giovanni because you, a lot of your projects are rooted in computer science, right? So you're working with a lot of computer scientists. And yes, definitely. And that's our second, like what does How they, that going, Giovanni? Interesting and because I interesting, have right? not much of a computer background or an engineer background. And when I started all this not too long ago, it started with the pandemics. I, that's the time when I came and moved to Ohio, Columbus, where I am right now, from Dallas, Texas. So I came here with the purpose of helping with the implementation of the digital pathology workflow. And at the beginning, it was for daily routine work. Just moving from glass to, to, to digital. So that was the first part of the transition. Now we became fully digital in January this year with all our slides get digitized after production. And now we are on the verge of deploying our first sets of algorithms in, in for daily use. And in that part is where I started interacting with all these different engineers computer technicians and engineers. I know a complete different lingo, a complete different set of expectations. <laughs> and then is when you realize that in order for a, a meeting to be completed, to get somewhere, you have to start including all these different representations because it, there are only pathologies. We do nothing. We just can't wish. And so <laughs> we need uh, an IT person who tells us what's the what's doable and what's not based on what we have or what we need to acquire. And then we're working with the eyes, so we need somebody who knows programming, who understands what that's about, and who can judge and qualify an algorithm because there are so many vendors right now and they can come and tell us everything and the only thing that we do is open our mouth, right? Oh. <laughs> <But> <laughs> we need somebody to ask the substance our questions that how do you assess an algorithm? And I've been learning an immense deal of things and I'm hoping that my colleagues, the engineers and the computer scientists are also learning from me pathology. So everybody of us has a different component. And again, if we are all not in the room or in the phone call, the meeting goes nowhere because that <laughs> part is missing. Very uh, 
I hear a shout out to all those engineers, all those computer scientists, and all those vendors. You go and drop comments below this this podcast wherever you're listening to it. We need you. And it was just a joke. We love you and we need you. <laughs> totally. <laughs> they are they're in the same boat game too because everything is new. They're trying to come up with solutions every day from hardware, software, algorithms, what have you. Everything is new, it needs to be tested, it needs to be proven, not only that it works empirically, but also that it delivers and when it's implemented clinically. And so if, the, if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't go anywhere either, because that's basically that was become sort of topic of conversation. Another thing is that, and this is what vendors are learning, I think, from the experiences is that they cannot do everything. Digital pathology, computational pathology, I think initially was thought to be, oh, this company is going to go into that and it's going to do everything, hardware, software, the, the whatever the steps. It didn't happen, so, did it? I can speak to that. I can really speak to that because when we started, <laughs> when my company spun off from Tulane in 2017, we really genuinely thought we were building like a platform microscope that was going to be able to do literally everything in pathology. <laughs> As we got out there, we did our pilots and we did our beta testing. We were so wrong. We just, we learned that we had to, we really had to, in order to at least get some initial traction, we had to significantly narrow our focus, pick one lane to go down into, pick a very narrow number of use cases and applications and truly validate those. And the whole one company or one product to, to rule them all was just never going to be possible. This idea died quickly. I think it's similar to the AI, like the concept of AI. Everybody's thinking, oh, it's going to do everything. No, it's doing one thing at a time. And you can have like hundreds of them that do one thing at a time, but they still do one thing at a time and they still have to do this one thing good to be accepted in the community. I think that's the perfect transition because we wanted to talk about some of the hot topics and some of the news have, items uh, that we've been following. Agenda. We have a very <laughs> like ambitious one and we <laughs> might need to divide it into two episodes, but that's fine. Maybe. Let's go Maybe. for it. No, I think the first, the relevant one is in the last year, we've seen CAP produce guidelines about how institutions should be doing internal validation studies. If they are planning on goal, going digital, what should they be doing with the whole side scanners that they've just purchased to validate? I think like the highlights are 60 cases seems to do it, looking for a 95% concordance rate, and then some kind of washout period to, to re-review those images afterwards. And so that's now a guideline that's published. Giovanni, have, is that something that you guys followed at Ohio State? And I think we did a podcast on this, but maybe you guys came up with some analogous guidelines as well that you followed when you did your validation. We've been using everything that the CP is putting out. And I happen to be part of the Digital and Computational Pathology Committee. And this committee is not supposed to put out guidelines, but we are recommending the guidelines for the committee to put out the guidelines. And I am playing an the important role there because not too many people are actually doing the digital workflow in this committee. So I'm one of the ones who bring that kind of 
experience. And that's actually my, my, because we are very fortunate in this community to have people with expertise in all the different areas of computational pathology, which I'm lacking in terms of training because, again, I don't have a computer background or a scientist background to understand all the nuances of the digitization process of AI participation, but we do have all this in this committee. And my claim to fame in the committee is that I'm actually doing the labor so they can, I can provide that feedback of what's working and not. So we are using the CAP guidelines and providing also feedback for what is not in the guidelines yet. For instance, for validation of for our systems at home. We started doing remote digital pathology and there were no guidelines for that. We developed our own internal validation and guidelines for that. We're giving that to the CAP and they are collecting information from other centers too. And eventually with these recommendations, I said those recommendations will be put out too for people who want to validate their pathology from home as well. Oh, everything is in the works. Everything is in the works. And not much is out yet, just the tip of the iceberg, but a lot of things will be starting coming out slowly from the CA. I was just going to to say that from on the vendor side, that's certainly what we've started looking to. Anytime we set up a pilot with an institution, we just go to the guidelines and say, look, CAP is recommending 60 patients. This is the concordance metric that we're hoping to hit. And we're going to do the washout period. And we find that seems to be provide enough evidence for institutions to make a decision if they really want to do this workflow or not. And this FDA also has been interested in collaborating with us, with the CAP and the Digital Pathology Association, because they see this as just the beginning of a wave of algorithms and techniques and new tools that they will have to validate. So they're trying to set up initial guidelines and processes set up these processes that people, vendors can follow to have their tools validated in a relatively short period of time. Yeah. So guys, we have guidelines as well. We meaning there has been an FDA guideline document published. I think the comments have been submitted, I don't know, last month for use of digital pathology in non-clinical work, uh, GLP compliant, good laboratory practice compliant, which in theory, and in those guidelines, you basically, when you do digital pathology, you read those guidelines and it's like common sense. So... uh, there is so we have a process called peer review. So when I would evaluate a study for a pharmaceutical company, the pathologist from the pharmaceutical company is checking some percentage of what I did and if if we agree. So for this peer review, this was already in the works. And now me as the one who is evaluating those studies as the primary pathologist can do it digitally. It it could it was already possible to do all the time because the GLP guidelines have a GLP compliance defines how to validate computerized systems and digital pathology system is a computerized system, but nobody Mm -hmm. has done it so far. And nobody was officially talking about digital pathology as like a special type of computerized system. So now we have guidelines, pharma industry and CROs submitted comments 
And there was a first instance of validation for primary read at my day job at Charles River Laboratories. So I actually started reading studies digitally. But we also have official guidelines. And I have to do a podcast episode about that because I think people are, I don't know, think the guidelines are more complicated than they are. Yeah. That, do you have that uh, impression, David? Because you said you were reaching out to vendors and they're like not really knowing what to do and you show the guidelines and it's clear. Yeah, I, I think the guidelines, at least for the clinical validation, make it clear and they make sense. And it felt like it was, you, you said the word common sense. I felt like it was just common sense what people were doing before it was officially published. And I, I was going to ask you, now that your guidelines are published, were there any surprises or is it just writing down what you guys were? like publishing officially what you guys were doing anyways? Most of the things is just writing it down. There is a lot about archiving that there was a little bit of discussion whether like everything always has to be archived for the peer review. So the second pathologist reviewing my work, you don't really archive that. You just say it was done. But now when it's done on digital slides, the guidelines say, oh, you should archive that. So there was a little bit of pushback. Okay, when we are, why should we do that? Uh, it's just like input. The second pathologist, they're not the primary person evaluating the study. It's the study pathologist. So the main pathologist. and every like all the data comes from the main pathologist so why should we archive that other part we'll see with the many institutions submitted the comments so we'll see if we're gonna get a waiver on that or not when we are actually doing the primary read digitally it doesn't really matter because you have those slides and you, you have them digitally anyway, and then you send the digital slides to your peer reviewer. But sometimes the first pathologist is reading on glass, and then we only scan and give it to the peer reviewer. And that was also COVID, not invention, but COVID implementation, because usually for peer review, people traveled. So I would read a study in my day job and somebody from a pharma company would come to my place and meet with me, look at the slides on glass and talk to me about, okay, do we agree here? Do we disagree? And now, of course, they couldn't come. So we started scanning. And uh, so there's a little bit of discussion. Oh, shall we archive everything? Because it's so much data, huge data and all that. Jazz, as we know very well from <laughs> digital pathology. But other than that, mostly common sense what people were already doing and what was GLP compliant anyway. Do you, when, because pharma has been using digital longer than we've been using it clinically, when is there still, how is the adoption of digital in pharma? Is still a lot of laboratories or pharma companies using glass or how is the transition going there? It depends like what part of the drug discovery and drug development pipeline. There was a lot of image analysis being done across the board. So for this, like you do digital pathology, period. There is a lot of discovery. So discovery is what I'm doing is safety toxicological safety, tox safety, we call it, which is when you already discovered your compound, you checked on animal models, and this discovery part is already done, and you're checking, okay, is it going to be safe? And you check first the safety in animals, and then if it passes a serious, like a 
row of different studies, then you can take it to a clinical trial. So in the drug safety area, the adoption is not that great, I have to say. This is so the pre-safety discovery. This is non-GLP. Everything that's non-GLP, you can basically not bother about validating your systems according to the GLP guidelines. People do it anyway, because usually you have a mixture of, of work. For what I'm doing, the adoption is slow. I think the fact that we validated it and that we started doing it, and we work with so many pharma companies, my CRO, that we're the hub that then spreads it to other pharma companies. I hope, I maybe it's just wishful thinking, but basically there it's patchy, it's like a puzzle. Some parts are strong and built together, but there's the, it's not fully digitized yet. It doesn't surprise me because that's exactly what we had experienced. Why do you think it's slow? Is the pathologist themselves you think the main, the limiting factor for adoption or the cost? I don't think it's the cost because pharma companies usually, that's not a part. Yeah, everybody thinks that, but then <laughs> I they think look at Actually, I don't think in general, when I learned from David Clooney, how much an MRI costs and that this is like millions of dollars, it then a scanner is a cheap piece of equipment. So yeah. I think... The problem is the interoperability and uh, of systems and how many teams it takes to make this thing happen. Let's say you have a company, uh, I don't know, Giovanni, in your place now, everybody likes digital pathology, like all the pathologists, right? You're fully digital. I was, do, we still have some naysayers. They do? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, everybody has. Everybody has. Everybody you knows know. it to some degree, but still mm-hmm. some say that they, even though they get all the images first, they still get the glass for mm-hmm. one reason or another. Yeah, I think if it was just dependent on one group of professionals, be it pathologists or, I don't know, IT, whatever, it would be easier to implement. Because across institutional work, is difficult because it's difficult because it's cross-institutional and you have to talk to people with different priorities in their groups then like bringing everybody on the same page and bringing the corporate leadership on the same page to do this is just challenging like with anything else i don't think it's digital pathology specific i think it's New technology specific. Characteristic for new technology. People are very resistant to to change. We always compare it with emerging technologies and how they are. Take this period. You have early adopters, then the slow adoption, and finally people years later still don't have an iPhone or, or a smartphone. They still use some sort of because they but doesn't have just one person I know that doesn't do this. <laughs> Everybody knows somebody. That's sort of a side note. That's like what I aspire. I hope I can get to the point in my career where I don't need a smartphone. Where I can I've done it I've done enough and everything that I direct goes so well that I can be off the grid a little bit because you're you get married to it sometimes and it's such a can be a distraction. But that's not yeah. there yet. Not there yet. Not even close. Yeah, but what do you think, David? Why is it 
difficult. I'm going to disagree a little bit because I think I, I do think cost. Oh, I had not disagree. I think cost is playing a big role in it. You mentioned earlier that relative to MRI scanners, that a slide scanner is cheap and cheap relatively is certainly true. But it, it seems to me like pathology departments are the departments that are purchasing the system. And the pathology budget, my understanding is that the pathology budget at a lot of institutions is just not even close to what the radiology budget is or what the surgery budget is. So while these systems may be cheap relative to the the expensive MRI systems or CT scanners, it is really big things that are used in surgery and radiology. So much bigger budgets. And yeah, yeah, surgeons and radiologists, go ahead and comment. Why do sure. you guys have more money than pathology? That's a fair question. And I, I'm wondering if if we see digital pathology adoption increase, that's going to increase the budget for pathology departments, and that's going to help close this adoption gap. But where I see if we're talking about the adoption curve or we're talking about the bell curve, if we're looking at my whiteboard, we are on the very left side of the bell curve. In the earliest of adopters phase right now. Good, then that's good for us because we're early and then there's going to be a boom, right? Soon. Hope- that, that's what the that's what the bell curve tells us is that there should be a boom coming. But I think the biz I think institutions need to work on the business case a little bit in order for this to become more mainstream in the U.S. David, so you guys were doing the uh, fluorescent way of imaging, right? Without making slides. That's like the roadblock that everybody says, okay, it's different from radiology because they just went straight to digital media and we still have the Mm -hmm. analog media. How's that going at your company? It's challenging. I think like I mentioned earlier, we've really had to narrow our focus and pick a lane. And we decided to just take a baby step and make our first clinical application just a tissue adequacy evaluation. So you can use our system for a, mm-hmm. like a touch prep or a frozen section type evaluation. And that's just, we felt like that was the best starting point. It's a low hanging fruit from a validation standpoint, but it's also not a primary diagnosis. That's just like the baby step that we feel we felt was needed to get pathologists more comfortable with the workflow and the image type that we're, we produce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pathologist comfortable with the workflow yeah. is an our challenge in itself. But yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think what you guys doing and a couple of other companies start doing this to think how to eliminate the glass. And yeah. I think it's a fantastic idea. And I also think this is going to face such a huge resistance. Yeah. It, from my experience, it, it definitely, I, I face a huge resistance, but it's okay. Nothing great ever happens uh, without resistance. Without overcoming and, this resistance. And I, but I also, I accept the resistance and I understand, I do understand the resistance. And that understanding just helps me figure out something that is going to work. I think we're quite a ways off from being able to have blast-free pathology. I know that we have to, I know that we don't have endless time here. We have to wrap up a little bit. And I had this grand idea for all these hot topics. We covered we covered a couple of them really well. So I think we're going to have... We have to meet again. That's yeah, okay. I think we're going to have to do this. I think we are going to have to make this kind of like more of a regular thing. I was thinking we do this once a quarter or a couple times a year. We get together. Totally. We want to do this. If everybody yeah. who's listening to this, comment below. Do you want us to meet or was it pointless rambling let us know (laughs) yeah 
suggestions for topics we should cover. I vote. I vote yes. Let's do it again. You vote yes. So, I we vote have yes to, too. We have to come up with some kind of like catchy name for what is this group called? Like or some like pathology. Um, Let's do competition on LinkedIn. Like for our regular meetings. Yeah, I think that'll be great. And I think let's just wrap. Let's just go ahead and wrap this up then. Alex, do you want to plug what's what are the next big things for your podcast and your website? Yeah, I I have a big thing coming. Cool. Yeah, I do have. I prepared for this question of yours, David. Okay, good. I do have a big thing coming. Hopefully already September. Maybe I'm going to start in October. So I reached out to several computer scientists active in the in our digital pathology space, and I want to invite them for webinars. They mostly work in the open source software space, at least my first three guests and anybody who follows that can guess who they can be but you will know soon so i want to have a regular webinar series with this active in this space and help them promote and learn from them because those people are like they have a huge knowledge that i want to share with the community and they're not vendors so they're not marketing themselves they publish papers who reads those papers maybe we read them if we have spare time which we don't have but sometimes we read them but the rest of the community and uh, non-pathologists and people who are involved in the digital pathology effort but do not have this as their interest or whatever, have other stuff to do. I want to deliver this as a webinar that's going to be also on my website and parts of it are going to be on YouTube as well. So that's my new thing. How about you guys? Awesome. We're going to post today. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I can't wait to see that. We'll post those links for us. Our next big thing is we're going to be, Giovanni and I are going to be on site at the Digital Pathology Association Visions Conference. And in October in Las Vegas, we are going to have a podcast booth set up. We're going to be doing on-person interviews like Radio Row at Super Bowl. And, cool. and it'll be kind of, we've done all these remotely, and now we're actually going to be pulling some people in at the conference. And those episodes should drop end of October and through November. Oh, my goodness. Fantastic. This is yeah. so cool, guys. I... I did not plan to go, but sometimes plans change, and that would be so cool. The last time I was a oh, if, team. if you're there, yeah. listen, if you're there, we'll add you to the table. Goodness. That's the idea. Figure out how to go. Uh, you can find how to register <laughs> at the link that we're going to post on the episode. All right. Okay. Uh, this is really fun. We're going to do this again. We'll come up with a great name for this. Until then. And I'm going to have my full setup then. I'm I'm not going to be doing this on the phone. Awesome. All right. Can't wait to do it again. Thanks. This was really fun. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. For more great digital pathology resources, visit the Digital Pathology Place website and subscribe to our newsletter on digitalpathologyplace.com. After subscribing, you will get access to the free Digital Pathology Crash Course, which will help you start working on your digital pathology projects immediately. Talk to you in the next episode.